come forward. Thank you. Good morning. Um, it is great to be here with you this morning. Our passage for the sermon is going to be Leviticus chapter 19, uh, verses 33 and 34. Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34. Um, if you start at the very beginning of the Bible... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book in. Uh, This is chapter 19. This is the word of God. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So far, the reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for the kindness that you have shown us in Christ. Uh, We ask that you will give us understanding of your word, that you will uh, grow us in faith and love through our time together this morning, that you will be praised. Uh, We ask that you will transform us, transform your people, that you will... Uh, grow us in likeness to Christ, that you will grow a love for you and for those around us. And we ask that um, you will be praised, that our hearts will sing to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So... When my wife and I, Shireen, first started working with RUF International, we were at Auburn University, and some of the very first students that we met uh, were this couple. I'll call them Sam and Linda. They were from Indonesia, and Sam had come uh, to Auburn to work on a master's degree, Um, and I met them on the ride back from the airport. So this area is really nice because there's lots of airports in the area. It's, it's fairly easy to get to the airport. Uh, when I was in Auburn, it was an hour and a half to two hours to get to the nearest like, international airport. And so the university would send these buses up, and I, I got on one of these buses, and I met Sam there on the bus. And Sam and Linda were very responsible. So responsible that they reserved their apartment from Indonesia. So they knew where they were going to be staying. All they had to do was walk into the office, sign the lease papers, and they were good to go, right? And they were, they were excited about this transition. Um, but unless you're probably like a lawyer or a real estate professional, something like that, real estate documents are long, there's lots of words, and most of those words I don't understand. Um, and so they wanted somebody to sit with them while they were looking over these documents, signing them, and checking out their apartment. And so they're like, Matthew, will you, will you do this? I was like, I would be happy to. I am not a professional, but I will sit with you. I will, I will do my best. Um, and so sat with them while they looked at the lease agreement, checking out the apartment. And 
uh, we go, we're looking at the apartment, and of course we take off our shoes as soon as we come inside, we're walking in, and we're about three steps in, and everybody's looking down at their feet because their feet were wet. For whatever reason, the apartment complex decided to clean their carpets, I'm glad they decided to clean the carpets, but they decided to clean the carpets the day that they arrived. All the carpets were soaked. Um, and then came this big cultural adjustment because they had reserved their apartment from, from their home, what, from what they were used to. Not only were their feet wet, but they were wondering what happened to all the furniture because where they were from, apartments come furnished. So they have an apartment with wet carpet and no furniture. Uh, Sam and Linda stayed with us for a few days. Um, we helped them while they were getting their, with their phones and, and getting their bank account set up while they started looking for furniture around different places, hoping to find some inexpensive furniture because, again, they thought furniture was already going to be there. Um, Sam and Linda, a dear brother and sister, um, were shocked by what happened when they came to the States to study. And they are examples of people that God has brought to this country um, to study. Some people come as immigrants, some people come as refugees. Um, but these people, strangers, sojourners, they have needs. They have left their homes. They have left that support. And things are different here. And that makes that transition even harder. Um, for Sam and Linda and for almost all of my international students, um, they very much feel the vulnerability of being in a new country in a new position. English isn't their first language. The culture is different. Expectations are different. And they've left all their support system. They've come, their family, their friends, they're back home, and so it's a whole new situation for them. They are created in God's image, and God cares about them deeply and wants to see them flourish and thrive. And God calls his people to reflect his character by welcoming and caring and loving the stranger, the sojourner, um, just as he has welcomed and cared for the church. If there's one thing that, if you want to remember one thing from today, uh, remember that God loves you and that he has welcomed you. God loves you and he has welcomed you. And I know, I recognize the, the challenge of that. You're like, okay, only remember one thing? Okay, got it. This is the one thing? Okay, now don't check out on me because there's more. But like, you know, sometimes you need that one thing to kind of build around, right? Remember that God loves you and he has welcomed you. He loves you and he has welcomed you. Now I want to I go back in history a while. And I want to remind you 
of Jacob and his sons. Um, remember, there was a famine in the land. And so Jacob sends his sons to a foreign land saying, hey, go there and get some food. The sons go, they get the food, they come back. Guess what? The famine continues. Jacob says, go back and get more food. And the sons are like, father, remember that Egyptian official who was like, don't come back here unless you send your youngest son, the one you're kind of holding on to because of the, the hardship and the trauma and the losing another son who we, we lost many years ago? Go back, and if I have to lose my youngest son, so be it. But go, get food, take care of our family. And so Jacob and his son, Jacob's sons go back to Egypt, and there, you'll remember Joseph is there, the son that they had sold into slavery and who had been missing for years and years and years and who the other sons had said, hey, don't worry, uh, because your son has died, right? Crazy, messed up family situation, right? Um, <laughs> But there's Joseph and saying, is my father still alive? I see my youngest brother. Is my father still alive? And it's like, yes, he is. He's like, bring him down here for I will provide for our family. And so Jacob, his sons, their families, they all moved down to Egypt, a strange place so that they will have a better life, so that they will live, so that they will have food. And this that Joseph put them up in a good situation for them. But then as we turn to Exodus, very early in Exodus we read that there arose a Pharaoh that forgot Joseph. And this Pharaoh saw that the Israelites were growing in number, and he became worried. He's like, what happens with all these Israelites if they grow in power, and then suddenly somebody decides to attack Egypt, what happens if they decide to join them? And so Pharaoh comes up with this plan that he thinks is great, which is a horrible idea. But he's like, we are going to enslave the Israelites. We'll make them do hard labor. We will oppress them. But the Israelites call out to God. Remember what happens? God demonstrates himself to be a powerful God, one who is mighty, one who has a powerful arm who is going to deliver his people. And that's what he does. He brings out the Israelites from Egypt. And the Exodus um, that, that we see in the book of Exodus is in the Old Testament. This is like the ultimate premier deliverance or rescue that you see in the Old Testament. It points to greater things to come. But all throughout the Israelites' history, they come back to God's delivering them, rescuing them from Egypt. So God brings out the Israelites. And re remember that he, he sent ten plagues, um, showing how the Egyptian gods were nothing that the Israelites get to the Red Sea and they are panicking because they see the army coming behind them and there is this Red Sea in front of them. And what does God do? He splits the Red Sea so that they walk across on dry ground. 
God provides an abundant deliverance. The Israelites walk across on dry ground. They get to the other side. Pharaoh's army is uh, chasing after them. And God drowns the army in the Red Sea. It's a glorious victory for God. And he saves his people from the Egyptians. And now they're, now they're on the other side of the Red Sea. And God is starting to prepare his, his people, the Israelites, for what he wants their society, their community to look like. And so he gives them commands and laws saying, hey, now that you're out of Egypt, I want this community to act like this. When you come into the promised land, I want you to act like this. And what does he want his people to do? He wants his people to reflect his character. So God gives this command. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. That's pretty awesome, right? God wants his people to reflect his character. So he's saying, not only do I care about you Israelites, I care about the stranger, the one who sojourns with you, the one who comes in. I want you to care about them. How much? Even as the native among you. More than that, even as you love yourself. And he reminds the Israelites that they know what it's like to be strangers in a strange land, to be sojourners. They know what it's like. For they had experienced that for many years in the land of Egypt. And they had They had experienced mistreatment and oppression. And God tells his people, that is not to be you. You are to show love for the one sojourning with you. Reflect my character. And then he grounds this command on his relationship with them. He says, we have a relationship. You are my people. And because I am your God and you are my people, you are to reflect my character. Because I am the Lord, your God. So if you don't already know this, when, you, when you're reading the, your, um, your English Bible and you see Lord in all caps, have you ever run across that and you're like, wow, is this like a typo? Like, what's going on here? When you see that in your English translations, that represents God's name, his divine name, because um, it, it comes from Jewish history, because they didn't want to speak the name and speak the name in vain, so they wouldn't speak the divine name. And so they re- would replace it and say Lord instead. And so in our English translations, when you see Lord in all caps like that, that's the divine name. That's God's name. He's saying, I am the Lord. And he says, you're God. So this is personal. This is personal for the people of God because the God who has rescued them and delivered them says, I love you. I have saved you. Reflect my character because I am your God and you are my people. And there's this very close tight relationship here. And so the people of God are to love the stranger as themselves because they know what it's like to be sojourners and it reflects the character of God.
so, depending on how much you've, of the Old Testament you've read, you might be thinking, huh, there's been some times where they did really well, and, and you're like, I just love Boaz. He's a great guy, showing love to the sojourner. And then you might be thinking, hmm, there's some other times the Israelites didn't do so well. There's, you know, there were actually times where the Israelites, they, didn't, they weren't reflecting God's character. They were reflecting the character of the nations around them, where there were times where there were people who were sojourners, and instead of loving them as they loved themselves, they tried to take advantage of them. They tried to oppress them. So even though God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, and this is something that the Israelites keep coming back to, they didn't always do well with this. There's often times where they did not love the sojourner. Let alone as themselves, just didn't love them at all, and instead mistreated them. So there needed to be a greater rescue. There needed to be a greater deliverance. And so God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus came in the flesh. And Matthew chapter 9, we hear this, that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Jesus has compassion for the crowds. You know, there's a lot of times that we read this and we we tend to think of these crowds as just like, oh, they're just all Israelites. They weren't all just Israelites. There were Gentiles there. There were people from surrounding countries there. But hear this, that Jesus had compassion. So we have a God who has compassion. He has compassion on those who are helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion on the crowd. He loved them. Jesus fulfilled the law of God in loving this crowd, loving the sojourners, loving those who were in a strange land. Jesus perfectly loved his heavenly Father, and he perfectly loved those around him. God's command for his people to love the sojourner was not just for the Israelites. It also comes down to us, his people. He calls us to also love the sojourner. He also calls us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He calls us to love those around us, our neighbors, even as we love ourselves. How are we doing with that, right? Earlier in the service, we confessed that we don't do that perfectly. That we don't perfectly love the neighbors around us. We don't perfectly love the sojourner. We don't love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Jesus did. And in Jesus, God demonstrated his love for us, for you and for me, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for you. And through Jesus' death, we have been reconciled to God. We have peace with God because of his making the sacrifice of himself to take away and atone for our sin. And not only did he reconcile us, but he brought us into the family of God. 
Galatians 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God has made us his children. He has brought us into his family. He hasn't just made peace with us and left us out there to be like, okay, we now have peace. There's no more animosity. There's no more anger. There's no more, um, there's no more fighting. But no, God has brought us into his family. God has brought us near to himself. He has welcomed us. He has brought us into the family of God. God loves you, and he has brought you into the family of God. Um, So not only has God brought us into the family of God, but Jesus is preparing a place for us. Jesus is welcoming us. I want you to think of John 14, right? Jesus says this in John 14 too. In my Father's house are many rooms. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to prepare a place for them because he loves them, because God loves them, has brought them into his family. So during, um, during the height of the pandemic, I had a student that returned to Central Asia. And we happened to be doing a meeting online. It was, we, we were Zooming, um, as everybody got really tired of. Um, we were doing a Zoom, and we were talking around, we were sitting around talking, and we noticed that the student is in this very large room. And like, where are you? And she's like, I'm at home. And we're, we're looking at, it looks like she's at this really big table. It's like, so you're at home? It's like, yeah, where are you in your home? I'm in the dining room. Okay. And so she went back, Central Asia. She's, in, she's at home, and she's in this dining room that could easily seat 40 to probably up to 60 people. Um, for me, like, fire marshal would not let more than, like, 10, 12 people in my house. For her, they have room for 40 to 60 people at the dining room. And so we're talking, it's like, hmm, what's going on? She's like, would you like a tour? It's like, we're like, yes, absolutely. And so we finish, we finish talking, and so she's taking us around, you know, she's, she's showing us around, she shows us the dining room, the super long table with all these chairs around, then extra chairs along the wall just in case anybody else needed a, needed a chair that wasn't already seated. And then she shows us the kitchen, which is like this big kitchen, and then she shows us this other kitchen where some of the aunties were, were cooking. She was in her father's house. And literally, her father's house had many rooms because in her culture, her parents were there, her siblings were there, and there were rooms for her, for her and her siblings and their families, right? She took us outside. She showed us the garden. And there's like, like I thought that it was kind of like a, a small office building, you know, maybe something really big. Nope, that was her uncle's house. Culturally speaking, for, for her family... The families lived together. And so like the uncle was right here, her, her dad's house was right here, and it was big. And there were many rooms because they lived together. Jesus 
our older brother is preparing a place for you in your father's house. It's going to be a big house. And there's going to be many rooms there. Um, I like to throw in this, like, this, little, this little side note. Some of you might be thinking, all I want is a few acres with enough trees that I cannot see my neighbors. <laughs> the good news is, when the Lord returns, and we're all in this big house together, the Lord will have so worked in your heart that you don't want those trees anymore. You will want to be with your brothers and sisters in your father's house. That's how much the Lord is changing our hearts. And when we get to glory, it will be glorious. And we will love being with our brothers and sisters in our father's house. Because he has welcomed us into his family. And our elder brother is going to prepare a place for us where there are many rooms. So not only has God welcomed us into his family, our elder brother Jesus is preparing a place for us, but week in, week out, day by day, our God feeds us and cares for us. Every week in worship, the Lord feeds his people with his word. There's a lot of times when life is challenging, right? It's a struggle. It's not easy. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that say, if you're not currently in a big life challenge or a big struggle, wait a few minutes. It's going to come. Life in this fallen world is full of challenges and struggles. And your Heavenly Father knows this, and He cares for you. He feeds you to strengthen you as you are also pilgrims on the way. He feeds you with his word. His spirit strengthens you. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, our elder brother Christ is the host and he welcomes his brothers and sisters to the table. He says, come to the table and feast with me. And when we share in the bread and the fruit of the vine, it is both a present reality where we are feeding through faith on Christ because he feeds us with himself. And it's also a foretaste. It's like an appetizer of that great, glorious feast to come. The feast in the new heavens and the new earth that our God has welcomed you to. And so we see that God has shown great love. He's shown great welcome and hospitality to us in Christ. And because of that great love and compassion and hospitality and welcoming and bringing you into the family, preparing a place for you, feeding you, sustaining you, because we are connected to Christ, he calls us to reflect his character. To reflect his character and love for the others and his welcome, especially to those who are sojourning, especially to those who are vulnerable. 
So God calls us to love the sojourner, to love the vulnerable among us. Um, so this, as I'm thinking about this, this has like particular application with international students, refugees, immigrants, but it also applies to people who are new to a community, new to a neighborhood, new to a workplace, those who are vulnerable, those who have been marginalized. Because being, being, pushed, being pushed out into a, put, a position of vulnerability, um, people often have needs, and people often try to take advantage of them. Um, in working with international students, I, ha- I hear a lot of stories in which people try to take advantage of international students, either um, selling cars, apartments, buying things, selling things. Um, there's just a lot of shady things that go on, things in which people are not treating uh, these guests as full of honor and worthy to be welcomed and loved. So how are we to love the sojourner? How are we to love the vulnerable among us? Um, We are called to love the sojourner. We are called to love those who are vulnerable even as we love ourselves. Even as we love ourselves. That is a high high bar Um, because if we're being honest with ourselves even if we don't have a good self-opinion of ourselves, chances are that we do a better job of loving ourselves than we do anybody else and so we need to work at loving others we also need to repent for not loving others as we love ourselves The people around us are created in God's image. They are created in God's image and deserve love, to be welcomed, to to be cared for. And we need to do this. We need to step up. We need to pray that God helps helps us to see helps us to be willing to put our own comfort to the side so that we can love others. One of the ways that we can love sojourners and those who are vulnerable is to show welcome and hospitality. Uh, One theologian said this about um, welcome and hospitality. Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. Sometimes people think that they're showing hospitality so they can change people. That's not showing welcome, and that's not really showing love. Sometimes people think that they're showing hospitality, but what they're really doing is something called entertaining. Showing hospitality, showing welcome is actually creating space and to show love for others. It's creating an environment 
of warmth and love. And it starts in our hearts. If our heart isn't in it, people can pick up on that. Most of you, if not all of you, have probably been invited someplace and probably even include something like, we would love for you to come over. I would love to get lunch with you. And then when you get lunch, when you come over and you're like, hmm, I don't really feel like they would love me to be here right now. You can feel it, right? You can feel it. We need to ask God to change our hearts so that when we reach out to others, that our hearts are actually full of love for this person. That God works in our hearts to help us actually express that love. And then we we need to be careful, especially for international students, immigrants, refugees, people who are coming from different places. And especially here um, around the D.C. area, there's a lot of people that come in and out from all over the country, around the world. We need to be careful that we, don't make, that we don't make our assumptions about how people feel welcomed. Oh, I know how to welcome people because this is how I feel welcomed. We need to be careful that we are willing to listen and ask good questions that aren't loaded with big assumptions. We need to welcome people and love people. Another thing that, that's a challenge is for many of us, we are busy people, right? And so our busyness is a major obstacle to loving those around us. We can be so busy that we have little time to show welcome in hospitality. We have jobs. We have families. We need to pray that God will help us to kind of process how can we love our family well and invite other people in? How can we, how can we uh, honor God well through our, our jobs and show hospitality and welcome? So we need to be mindful of how our schedules and our spending reflect our values. How do our spending and how do our schedules reflect our values? If we're, doing, if we're doing this, if we're doing hospitality, if we're welcoming others, if we're showing love, we might have to rearrange our budgets. So that's both our monetary budgets and our time budgets, our schedules, right? So we need to be mindful of this. Because we want to reflect God's character. Because he has loved us. It's, you know, a lot of times, love is just thrown around, like the word love, right? Oh, I love this, I love that, I love you. It's like, no, you don't. God, when I say, when I tell you that God loves you, he loves you more than you love yourself. He loves you more than the dearest person in the world loves you. He has loved you so much that Christ has died for you. Christ loves you so much that he offered up himself as a sacrifice. He made atonement for your sin because of his love for you. This is a love beyond comprehension. We can't understand this fully. We get glimpses. We get little pieces. We're like, oh, I really see, I really feel that God loves me right now. But we do not understand this. 
Even in the new heavens and new earth, we will not fully understand God's love for us. That is how great his love is for you. God loves you with an everlasting love and has called you to himself and brought you to his family. And because you are his child, he calls you to reflect his character. And he often uses his children in showing love and hospitality in the world around. So as we're, as we're seeking to show welcome and hospitality to those around us, we need to ask. First start asking ourselves, and then as we build relationships, start asking those around us, what are, what are people comfortable with? Is the way that I'm trying to show welcome and hospitality, does that actually help them feel comfortable and welcome? Or is this more about me? What is culturally appropriate? People are coming from different backgrounds, right? If I do X, whatever X is, will they feel comfortable and loved? God loves you. He's welcomed you into his family. Be amazed. Take a moment just to be like, I am loved by the king. I am loved by the king. The Lord who created the universe has placed his love on you. The Lord Jesus has laid down his life for you to redeem you and to reconcile you. And you have been brought into God's family. May he give us wisdom in how to reflect his love and his character in loving the stranger, even as we love ourselves. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, you have made a place for us in your world, in your kingdom, and in your family. You have welcomed us to yourself. And Christ has made peace between us through his own blood. Help us now to rest in your love. May your love, compassion, and welcome so overflow our hearts that we reflect your character and how we show love, welcome, and compassion to those around us for Jesus' sake. Father, as we turn to your table, we ask that you will be with us, that you will feed us, and that you will set aside these common elements to feed us your children. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.